Hi everyone, Amanda here, and this is Planned, Prepped, and Productive, the podcast that's all about helping you feed your family's nourishing meals while simultaneously kicking stress and overwhelm to the curb. This is episode 16, Five Powerful Reasons We Eat That Are Not Nutrition. Hey busy mamas, welcome back to another episode of the Planned, Prepped, and Productive podcast. Being that it's January, I feel the need today to get on a little bit of a soapbox with all of you, um, especially with all of this new year, new you, diet-heavy marketing that I'm seeing all over my Instagram and Facebook feeds. You all know by now that I'm all about change and all about becoming healthier, but I'm not all about how today's modern goal-getter culture suggests going about these changes. Today's food world is so, so difficult to navigate, you guys. Even with my background as a dietitian, I personally am faced with food questions, particularly when it comes to feeding my kids, that are so difficult for me to answer. The world out there is constantly telling you and us to cut back, to eat less, to count this, to count that, that carbs are evil, fat is evil, eat all the protein instead, eat all the veggies, sugar is evil. Especially at this time of year, we are particularly hounded with messages of control, messages that our weight loss dreams are right within our reach. If we can just control a little bit better, food is the enemy, etc., etc., etc. As I said, it's so hard to navigate this world and for us as moms to model a healthy relationship with food for our kids with so many conflicting and frankly difficult to follow messages out there regarding feeding ourselves and feeding our kids. I wish that I had all the answers on how to develop a relationship with food worth modeling, but truth be told, it's something that I am constantly working on and I'm constantly having to tweak my own mindset and my own strategies as new issues with food arise. Uh, The latest one I'll tell you about, if you're wondering, is the fact that I recently introduced a family economy to our family um, where I give my kids an allowance, which they only want to spend on candy. So now I'm forced to figure out how I balance my two different ideals. One, that my kids should be able to spend their money as they please with guidance to effectively learn money management and have a sense of autonomy but I also don't want them to eat candy every single day by spending their money in the vending machine at the gym where we go every day. I also want to maintain a mindset that treats are good and that they have their place and not create an idea of scarcity to make my kids want more treats. So God, you guys, this issue alone is enough to make me want to scream. Also, if you have any great tips on this subject, let me know. As of now, the way it works is they're only allowed to spend a certain percentage of their money on treats, and I'm hoping doing it this way will help them understand the idea of a budget and not make them feel as though treats are scarce and they need to hoard them when they come. But as I said, I'm up for all the suggestions. Anyway, the point of that tangent of my personal dilemmas is that navigating the food world, as I said, can be so hard, and I absolutely don't have all the answers. But one answer, or I guess a set of answers that I do have that I hope to instill in my children and that can hopefully help all of you shift your mindset as well is that food is not all about health and nutrition. Let me repeat that because it's important. Food is not all about health and nutrition. Food has so many beautiful purposes that have absolutely nothing to do with health. And as much as the weight loss industry tries to teach you and me otherwise, 
Even if you do manage to succeed at the strict control that's recommended, you will be missing out on so many other beautiful purposes of food. And even if your weight puts you in a healthy range after all that restricting, your relationship with food might make you anything but healthy. Health is one of the core reasons to eat, but it is not the only one. And the other reasons are certain to enrich your life, especially if you work to ditch the diet mentality and to enjoy the beauty of the gift of food that you've been given. So in no particular order, here are the five reasons to eat that have nothing to do with health and nutrition. One, survival. You might be thinking that survival is pretty similar to health and nutrition, but in my opinion, nothing could be further from the truth. The fact is that the diet mentality is rooted in privilege. Being able to choose what you eat and control your diet is a luxury. Think about it. Does someone who is starving have the option to even care about whether or not his food is organic, how much fat slash sugar slash carbs are in it, whether or not the eggs were free range? Absolutely not. And if you have certain beliefs about where your food should come from, I am by no means trying to change your mind about those beliefs. But to simply point out that we are very lucky to have choices when it comes to food and to be able to craft what we consider to be a healthy diet rather than being subject only to what's available to us. While I've been very lucky in my life to live in a situation where food itself is not scarce and has not been scarce, there may be times or seasons in our life where even if food itself is not scarce, we are in survival mode when it comes to eating. And what I mean by this is that whatever else is going on in our lives is just kind of putting food and what we eat on the back burner. So... For those of you in survival mode, I hope I can take some of the guilt away and actually congratulate you for feeding yourself and your family using whatever means are necessary during those times of life that you're not on your A-game for whatever reason. Some of these reasons might be situational, having a new baby, moving, working long hours, loss of a loved one or grief. Sometimes you might be in survival mode because of your health, particularly your mental health, if anxiety or depression is keeping you away from cooking or eating the way that you would ideally want to. Want to know something really cool? Survival is actually way more important than general health because if you're not alive, you are certainly not healthy. I know that sounds a little bit silly, but if life has you stuck in survival mode for whatever reason, the fact that you are eating whatever is available, whatever is easy, whatever you can get your hands on shows that you're resourceful and that you want to survive. I'll have an episode coming up here in the future on getting out of survival mode when you are ready and if your life has come to a point where you are otherwise able to do so. But instead of feeling guilt during that time over not eating the right kinds of food when your life is otherwise completely crazy, give yourself a little bit of grace and even a pat on the back for surviving even when it's hard to do so. Two, family and culture. Some of my favorite childhood memories involve visiting my abuela in Puerto Rico. I remember asking her regularly if we could make Play-Doh, which was actually a simple bread dough that she would then roll out into thin discs and fry in oil. They're called dumplines. There's a recipe for them on my blog if you'd like to try them out, and I'll leave a link in the show notes. They're similar to kind of like a fry bread. She always gave me some of the dough so that I could play with it. That dough did not get cooked or eaten, and the rest she served for lunch or dinner with rice and beans. It was my absolute favorite meal that she made. I also remember being at her home and picking lemons off her tree in the backyard to make lemonade 
Or I remember my abuelo walking to the panaderia and anyone Hispanic know that this is definitely not my strong point. <laughs> anyway, for a morning loaf of pan sobao, which is basically Puerto Rican French bread, and it is so delicious. I have other great memories from the island of enjoying a piragua, a Puerto Rican snow cone in Old San Juan while we wandered around marveling at the brightly colored houses, shops, and the sound of the ocean. I also remember one particular vacation when my dad and I made it our mission to find the best piña colada on the island, so of course we had to try one every single day. There were also the seafood empanadillas that I remember trying for the first time and wondering why people liked seafood, but continuing to try in subsequent trips and ending up loving them by the last time I went. Growing up in Utah, I often felt a little bit disconnected from my Hispanic culture, but these memories all involving food gave me some of that connection that I craved even though I didn't speak Spanish or grow up on the island like my mom did. But something that I only realize now in my adult life is that by today's standards, all of these foods would be considered bad or red flag foods or unhealthy. How sad would it have been if I had missed out on all of these powerful and meaningful memories that are so important in my life in the name of health? Family and culture give so much meaning to life. And without having those connections, there's not really much worth to being healthy. I'm sure that your experience differs from mine and that different foods or different experiences hold meaning to you, but I'm willing to bet that there are memories and traditions that hold your family together that are centered around food. And these things are so important and a life without these memories would certainly be a little bit emptier. Three emotions. I'm honestly a little bit scared to share this one because I'm because emotional eating certainly gets a bad rap. And by no means am I suggesting or implying that emotional eating cannot cause problems when it's not controlled. But what if some level of emotional eating is actually a good thing? I'm going to turn to expert Ellen Satter for a quote before moving on to hopefully give me just a little bit of credibility and see if I can't convince you that emotional eating isn't necessarily the problem it's made out to be. It is natural to eat for emotional reasons. Eating can raise your spirits when you are low, soothe you when you are tense, and distract you when you are upset. We cook special meals to celebrate, and we use food to help us connect with other people. But you abuse emotional eating when your feelings go straight to eating, when you feel upset and automatically reach for food to settle yourself down. You have no idea what you feel other than generally upset or stressed. You eat to feel better or to push down or to blot out your feelings. You eat fast, don't pay attention, and end up feeling guilty, unsatisfied, and out of control. To make good choices in life, you have to know how you feel. Knowing how you feel helps you cope. Eating to take care of yourself is one of several solutions. Others could be talking about your feelings and dealing with the problem. So, now that you've heard Ellen's argument, I'll dive in with some of my own opinions. Emotional eating can be a powerful tool among other tools to make you feel better when you have a hard day, but it should be mindful. Take note of how often you are eating emotionally and what types of feelings are triggering those emotions. We obviously can't control our emotions all the time, but taking note of what things are bothering us and looking for patterns to see if we see ourselves emotionally eating often can help us instead of trying to control the emotional eating, which ends up making us feel guiltier and eventually just 
developing the what the heck attitude and going for it, we should look for solutions to the underlying problems that are causing the emotional eating. If you are abusing emotional eating, there is likely an underlying problem to be a tr- there is likely an underlying problem to be addressed, but emotional eating on its own again shows that you are resourceful and have a way among others to cope with difficult emotions. Four, for fun. So much of diet advice out there today involves sticking to your goals even when you're with friends and family, eating out, etc. If you have good friends, which I hope you do, I hope that they want to be with you and hang out with you regardless of what you are eating, but there's no denying that sharing food together is fun. Inviting your friends over for the big game and making a delicious spread of games day spread of game day treats is fun. Celebrating a birthday with a slice of cake and your favorite ice cream is also fun. Yes, there are certainly other ways to have fun, but food usually enhances a holiday or social event and enhances the memories you make. Five, to connect and show love. Just over six years ago, my husband and I were expecting our first children, twins, when things took a turn for the worst. I ended up delivering the twins around 20 weeks, four weeks before the age of viability. Losing our twins was obviously a very challenging time and many people wanted to help. And while we received many gifts, financial help, etc., many people also chose to show their love and support through food. Food is such a common experience that we all share, and it's natural that we want to show our love and empathy through food. I know that when I know of a friend or family member that's having a hard time, I often want to make them a loaf of bread or a plate of cookies just to let them know that I'm thinking of them. Food is a powerful communicator and an effective and meaningful way to show love. Giada De Laurentiis sums it up well. Food brings people together on many different levels. It's nourishment of the soul and body. It is truly love. So there you have it. In review, the five powerful reasons we eat that are not nutrition are survival, family and culture, emotions, for fun, and to connect and show love. If you're struggling with your mindset about food and stuck in diet mentality, I encourage you to consider all of these important purposes of food and not only food from a health perspective and see if it helps you to develop a healthier and more realistic mindset about food. Next week, we're talking more about habits and specifically the idea of a keystone habit. Tune in to learn what a keystone habit is and why I think meal planning can be a keystone habit and how you can use the idea of keystone habits to catapult your success in the kitchen and beyond. Thank you so much for tuning in today, and I hope you'll listen in again next time. Until then, happy cooking and happy planning.